0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here uh, with you all this morning. This time, the children uh, are dismissed for Children's Church. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, this is my first time uh, visiting with you all at Hope. I'm uh, Me and my family have been at um, Resurrection Community Church uh, since May of last year. We moved from Norfolk all the way down to Virginia Beach. It was a really far move, really hard on us. Um, And uh, so we've been uh, members there at at the church plant. Uh, I've gotten to know Blake uh, through uh, the PCA. I've gotten to know George. I actually happen to live right down the road uh, from where his parents are. Uh, I'm ordained, uh, as was mentioned, uh, in the PCA as a corporate chaplain. Uh, You'll see a little bit of that come out uh, in my message today because I want to talk about uh, something that we all do uh, all the time. We don't like to talk about and that is flossing. Uh, Just kidding, that's our work. Uh, uh, So um, I want to talk about our work, I want to talk about how God calls us to work and and how He's present in that. That's what my message to you all is uh, today, but it's good to be here, Uh, it's good to be with you all. Uh, We're going to look today at uh, uh, Luke chapter 16. Uh, Luke chapter 16 is a parable of Christ. I had the opportunity recently to uh, work through a book on the parables of Christ Uh, And and that book was about how the parables reflect, how the parables make applications to our broader life, our economic lives, our vocational lives, and uh, something that's really captivated me for a long time. And so I wanted to take a look at one parable, Luke 16. We're going to look next week at Matthew 25, another parable. Uh, But this week we're going to look at Luke 16 and talk about how this parable Uh, as we read it in the context of Christ and his kingdom really uh, gives us a a broader vision for what it means to live and to work and be faithful uh, to Christ. As you look at the parables of Christ, there are always two layers on which Christ is communicating to us. He communicates in the first level, that's a very moral and temporal level, kind of like fables where he's telling a story, we get the point of that story, there's a moral lesson that's to be had there. But then as we walk away and as the audience in Christ's day walks away and they ponder this message, there is this deeper meaning. And that is this eternal kingdom meaning that's embedded in these parables. And that's exactly how we want to approach Uh, Luke chapter 16 verses 1 through 13 today to look at what the parable is teaching us of our present lives, but how this parable is pointing us to Christ and His eternity, to Christ and His kingdom. If you will read with me Luke chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. Please stand for the reading of God's word. I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that, I may, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, some of these masters, debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. He said to another, how much do you owe He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the righteous wealth, who will entrust you to true, uh, to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will trust, entrust you with that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we ask, as we come to your word today, that you may add your blessing not only on the reading of it, but the preaching of your word. May we know what it means to live and to work in Christ's kingdom. May we uh, know more today of your grace. May we know more today of your power and your presence in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um... I don't know about you guys, uh, again, as was mentioned, my family's not here with me today, so I can't you know, pick on them, as, as you can see them, uh, but I have three young kids, and by young kids I mean eight, six, and three, and they are very young, and it's a handful. Uh, so I have three young kids, and for those of you who are here, and I think there's a couple of them, uh, who have young kids, there is this coveted hour in the Fowler household, And that's the hour of 8.30 at night when we put the kids to bed and we say, okay, it's time for bed. We put them down, you know, no, mom and dad are not going to do anything after you go to bed. We're we're going to bed ourselves, but we don't do that, right? We put them to bed, and then my wife and I uh, like to go down and enjoy ourselves, uh, sometimes by watching shows. Recently, we've been watching this show uh, on Apple TV called For All Mankind. It's a show that uh, is about, you know, what if... Russia back in 1960 had beat uh, the US to the moon. And this whole space race that takes place in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, they're, they're now built a base on the moon. Uh, and, and it follows two main characters Ed Baldwin, Karen Baldwin. Uh, Ed Baldwin is the great hero. He's uh, by the third season is an admiral with the Navy, went to the Naval Academy. He's prevented nuclear war in space, believe it or not, it did happen in the show. Uh, And and he's done all of these great things for the NASA program. But as the third season opens up, uh, they're about to go on this mission to Mars. And they have two captains slated for that trip, Ed Baldwin and another lady. And Ed originally gets the spot to be the captain of that voyage. And then, he's, and then he's, it's taken away from him, he's picked over, he's denied that spot. And he comes back to his wife, Karen, and he says to her, you know, after all of these accomplishments, all of these trophies that he's gotten from the Naval Academy, from all these missions he's completed, he says, after all of these things that are collecting dust in his attic... What does it all mean if I can't do this one last mission to Mars? What does this all mean? And I think similarly you and I are faced with this challenge. What does this all mean for us as we maybe most likely are faced with that in in a position in our jobs, in our vocation? You know, we didn't get that promotion that we wanted. We didn't get that raise. We're looked over maybe in our lives. For those of us raising kids, as they go off into the world and they kind of turn out and we say, yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen that way. Or maybe as we didn't get into that program one to, that school that we wanted to get into. And oftentimes in our lives we're faced with this question, what is the point of all this? As the writer of Ecclesiastes says over and over, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. All is chasing after the sun. We're faced with this challenge, what does it mean to live in this world that's full of uncertainty? When we don't get to control the outcomes. When we don't always get to do what we want to do. And that's exactly what we're faced with here in Luke chapter 16. As you can see, there is this manager who's faced with an existential crisis, right? Right? because his job is being taken away from him, and he's beginning to ask himself the question, what's the point of all this? And As we'll talk about today, he makes some very interesting conclusions, makes some very interesting decisions based on the situation that he's placed in. But what we want to see is that what Christ is impressing upon us here in this parable, what Jesus wants to show us through this parable, is what it means to live by faith when everything around us is uncertain. Jesus wants to show us what it means to live by faith when we don't get to control the outcomes, when we live in this world that is full of uncertainties. And what Jesus wants us to see is that his gospel, that his kingdom, gives us the certainty that we need to live in this world that by faith through Jesus, that by faith trusting in what he promises in his kingdom, that we can have the certainty to live in an uncertain world. And we want to see how that message applies to our work. We want to see how that message gives us direction in our work, in our vocation, something that that all of us are doing. We want to think about this idea of vocation not just as something that pays you, Because I'm not just called to be a worker. I'm also called to be a husband. I'm also called to be a father. You know, I'm also called to be a member of my church. These things don't pay me, but they're things that God has called me to. And we want to think about in those things, in those places, how does Jesus' certainly, how does Jesus' kingdom bring certainty in those places and we're going to think about that in three ways today. We want to think about how Jesus and his kingdom directs how we work. We want to think about how Jesus and his kingdom challenges why we work and we want to think about how Jesus and his kingdom establishes the end or reveals to us the end and the purpose of our work. We're going to look at those three points together today. But as we get there, let's think about this. How does Jesus direct how we work? Well, we see in this parable, again, it's about this man. He's a manager. There is the owner of this property, the owner of this estate that he's working for. We read in verse 1 there's a problem. This guy has mismanaged the owner's funds. He's mismanaged the property, maybe in the way that's revealed to us in the story, because what happens? He makes this conclusion well, I'm too proud to beg. I'm not really, you know, I don't want to dig. It's kind of hard work. Don't want to do that hard labor. So what does he decide? He comes, he takes these debtors. He says, okay, how much do you owe my master? Oh, I owe 100 measures of oil. Okay, write down 50. I owe 100 measures of wheat. Write down 80. And he begins writing off their debt. And he makes this conclusion to himself, as we see revealed in the words that come at the end of the story, at the summation of it, he makes this decision to win favor with these other people. So that as he says, I'll be received into into their house. And as a conclusion to the parable, Jesus says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealings with others than the sons of light. And what is Jesus telling us here? What is he saying at the conclusion of this story? What he's saying is that this manager was very cunning, was very smart, was, he was a good negotiator in the way he worked. As one commentator says, he used all his intellect, will, and energy to ensure his earthly comfort. In contrast to the sons of light who stand on the edge of eternity but lack vision, foresight, and strength or will to do anything about it, especially in their relationship with others. In other words, Jesus is calling us to be bold in our work. Jesus is calling us in this parable to think about how we work, to think about how we're relating to other people. Do you see that in the text? He's saying to us that, that we have this calling in our work, in our relationships, in our lives, in our vocation, to be bold in how we execute that, to be bold in how we live. The challenge in reading this parable is that we would want to take what Jesus says here in Matthew 16, we want to take what he says and we'd say, well, let's only apply that spiritually. Let's think only about this in the context to my church, to evangelism, to missions, which again, I am a minister. Those are all great things, right? We want to be bold in mission. We want to be bold in evangelism. But what about our calling 40, 50, 100 hours, you know, every hour of the week to be a parent? to be a worker, to our employer, to our neighbors, to our community. Does Jesus not also care about those things deeply? Is Jesus not also intimately involved in those things? Does Jesus not also call us to be in those places? Now what we want to understand here is that as Christians, we are primarily called to Christ in relationship to him by grace. That's our first calling. We are called as children of God, but we are also called to go out into the world to scatter from this building, the church, and live as the church scattered throughout the week. And Jesus is saying to us, I'm there too. And I think that's important too. And I think that it's important of how you serve me, how you're connected to me in those places. How you're thinking about your relationships with others, how you're thinking about your work and fitting within the context of this kingdom. We read in Psalm 104 uh, that God is the creator, he is the ruler of the whole world. And what's interesting in verse 15 and 16 of Psalm 104 is it talks about God feeding us. And it talks about God giving wine to gladden the heart. Now, think about this just for a second, because Martin Luther did in his day, where does that wine come from and that bread come from that's on our table that we eat? Does it just you know, grow on the tree and we you know, pick a bottle of wine or we pick a bread and we eat that? No. It's something that's produced. It's something that involves labor. It's something that involves work that Jesus says, pray for your daily bread. And Martin Luther said, well, think about all the labor that's involved in getting that bread on your table. There was the farmer who grew the wheat. There was the farmer who harvests the wheat. There was the, uh, the, then the, the sale of that wheat, the baker who baked it, the grocer who sold it, and now you have it on your table, and you eat it. And through all of these means, through all these labors, through all these vocations, God is feeding us, God is bringing us life. God is at work in our world. And Jesus says, I want you to know that. I want you to see that. I want you to see that your calling is is much bigger than you imagine. Much bigger than you realize. That Jesus is calling us to serve him in our work. But he's also calling us in a specific way. It says here in verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been, uh, not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true, true riches? And if you have been not been faithful in that which is another's, who will entrust you with that which is your own? He says, I want you to be faithful in your work. I want you to consider what it means to be a steward of your work, what it means to see God's kingdom come to life through your work. In 1967, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, there was a strike uh, during the Civil Rights era uh, of the sanitation workers. Uh, there was a strike from the sanitation workers over uh, unfair wages that were being paid to them uh, there in Memphis. Uh, and this was in February 1967. And one of the workers who was on strike stood up in the midst of that strike and he said, It is more honoring to God to dispose of our waste. Than to create it. Now, now that's, in my estimation, a pretty astute public theologian. He's saying, look, it's more honoring to God in, in what we're doing with our vocation and getting rid of all this waste than creating it. Do we see our work as connected to God and His kingdom and His purpose? I work uh, at a company where we produce signs. It's pretty interesting work. If you ever want to know more about it, uh, you know, I'd be happy to talk to you any day, but we we, we make signs uh, for lots of large brands, car dealerships, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and as I get asked all the time in my travels, what does a chaplain have to do with that? Absolutely nothing. I minister to the employees. Uh, but we make signs, and we have people who weld them. We have project managers who manage those projects. We have accountants who keep our books all the above. And, and in that work and in what we do... We are are adding clarity. We're adding God's purpose and vision in, you know, to distinguish this is a Hyundai dealership. This is a, you know, GM dealership, you know, and this is not a Ford dealership. Now, that might be a very little thing, but in in reality, we're bringing clarity and we're bringing purpose into the world. And God calls us, all of us, no matter what vocations we're in, to contribute to His vision, to His kingdom, to His glory. He calls us all to be part of that vision, whether it's, you know, raising children, you know, you only raise and educate your one, two, three children at a time. Whether it's it's dealing, you know, as a physician, dealing with your patients and bringing them care and bringing them healing and being involved uh, in their care and healing in their lives. God has, has called us uniquely to the places that we go out to work. And he says, I want you to be faithful in those jobs. I want you to be faithful in your vocation. I want you to bring my kingdom to where you go. That's what Jesus is begging us to to, to understand here. That's what Jesus is laying before us here. But he says, don't be misunderstood in how you do that. Because he ends in verse 13, no uh, one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and he will love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Jesus says that while we are called to serve, we must understand who our king is. And our king is Jesus. And our service is to him. We're not here to serve ourselves in what we do. We're not here for self-promotion as Jesus calls us to. We're here because of what God has called us to. He's called us to be faithful in our work. He's called us to serve Him through our work. In 1991, uh, Chuck Colson who maybe some of you guys know, Chuck Colson worked for uh, the Nixon um, cabinet Nixon presidency, uh, was in prison uh, after the Watergate scandal uh, and ended up becoming a Christian uh, while he was there in prison. Founded Prison Fellowship, had uh, Long time ministry uh, among DC insiders, you know, uh, uh, business professionals, politicians, uh, and whatnot. Uh, but in 1991, he had the opportunity to speak at the Harvard Business School. And, and in this address that he gave to the business school, he impressed upon those who were there, those who were at the Harvard MBA program, uh, that there is a great ethical and moral vacuum that exists in the West, that exists in the corporate life of the West. And that is because, as Colson says, because men have forgotten God. And what we want to see here in this text is we understand how Jesus directs our work, that he calls us to be faithful, that he calls us to serve him, that we want to understand that Jesus challenges us a little bit further. As Coulson points out here, that while we could really check the box, that, yeah, we could do all of these things well, that we could be faithful, that we could be good servants. But Jesus says, no, I want more than just your faithfulness. I want more than just your servitude because I want your heart. Because I want your life. Because Jesus challenges why we work. He says that in our work that we must serve Christ in his kingdom, that our work must be towards Christ. That our hearts must be engaged with Christ. That the reason why the motivation behind our work must be towards God and towards his glory. And what Jesus says is, not only do I want your work, I also want your life. Because think about this parable for a second. As we kind of go back in and scratch beneath the surface and look at it at a deeper level, if you remember in the Gospels... As Jesus goes out and he has his public ministry in Galilee and he has his public ministry in the northern parts of Israel and he goes down to Israel, who is always in the audience when he speaks? Fishermen, lame people, blind people, beggars, the Pharisees. We always see them coming up, but they were ministers to the poor community in in Israel. The Sadducees were the political elite. The Pharisees were kind of the country pastors of their day. Jesus is here ministering to those who are the, you know, um, not the elites, those who are overlooked, those who are disabled. And he gives this story of this man who is this manager, this man who is, you know, on his way up to that status of being elite. And he, and he gives this story of what he's done in the mismanagement of the money. And in verse 8, he, comm, he says, the master commended the dishonest manager for the shrewdness of his dealings. And he says his most interesting statement in verse 9. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails you, they may receive you and their eternal dwellings. And everyone in Jesus' audience is walking away, and they're scratching their heads, and they're thinking, did Jesus really just say that what this guy did and how he conducted himself, that it was a good thing? That here, you know, writing off these debts and, and, and making this place for himself when his job is taken away, that that was all good, that I was right. In other words, putting in our modern context... You know, was, was what happened with Enron in the 90s, was what happened in 2006 with the bank collapse, when all the investors, when all the bankers pulled the money out, basically, you know, causing problems for everyone else. Was that, was that good? Was that right? Was that the ethical thing to do in that situation? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Because what Jesus wants us to see is what is our hope? Why is it that we work? What is the motivation behind what it is that we do? Because he says here in verse 9 that when all this house of cards comes crumbling down, where are you going to spend eternity? What's your eternal hope? What's the foundation of the why that you work? What's the foundation of your life? Now, I want to be clear here. There's really kind of two major ways that commentators have taken this passage Some people see this reference to the eternal dwellings as this kind of, um, uh, shout out towards evangelism. You know, we're going to have relationships with our neighbors that when everything kind of comes crumbling down, we'll invite them into heaven. Other people see it, uh, as, you know, that, that when everything comes crumbling down, if we're living all for this world, you know, that, that we're going to go to hell. Here's the reality. No matter which way you take it, what Jesus is bringing, the layer that he is putting on top of this is an eternal perspective. And what he's asking of us is he's saying, what is your hope? What is the foundation of your life? Why do you do what you do? Where do you think that you will be for eternity? What is your hope and does that motivate how you live now? That's what he's asking of us. He's saying, does, does eternity, does the reality that you will be with God for eternity, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have called Christ your king, if you have become a child of God, does that eternal reality impact how you live here now? Does that eternal reality change how you think about your work, how you think about your life, how you think about living before God now? That's what Jesus wants us to see. What Jesus wants us to see is that that eternity comes into our lives now, that eternity motivates our lives now, that eternity calls us to live before God. It gives us the why that we work, that we don't work for ourselves. That what we do is is not to line our pockets with wealth. That what we do is is not for the service of making our name great. That what we do is not motivated by me and my desires and my comfort. But ultimately what I do is in service to God. But ultimately what I do has to be connected with God and his kingdom. But ultimately what I do comes first from God. Because he has first loved me and given himself for me. That everything that I have, that everything I possess, that everything I do as I go out into the world in my vocation, that all that we have, possess, and do is a gift from God and by his grace. Jesus says, do we we grasp that reality? Do we carry that presence with us in our work? Do we see that reality with us? Do we see our work as dependent on Christ and his eternal kingdom? Do we see our connection to Christ and his eternal kingdom? Do we see ourselves moving to that kingdom? Do we see our hope as totally and completely crowned in heaven? In, uh, back in January of this year, uh, like Blake, who had his house wrecked into uh, in February, my house uh, burned down uh, in January. And uh, so we had moved into that house in May of last year, and uh, we had our floors redone, the house burned down in January. Uh, and uh, when your house burns down, uh, this crazy thing happens. Uh, you start filing with, the, uh, with your insurance company, uh, and I, this happened on Friday night, didn't hear anything over the weekend. Uh, I get a call on Monday uh, from one guy, he says, oh, we're gonna, you know, this is a huge loss issue, we're going to pass you over to the specialist team. I get a call from three different adjusters in my insurance, really fun. Uh, so I have my adjuster, uh, I have my contents adjuster, and I have my structure adjuster. Uh, so on Thursday of that week, after my house burned down, uh, my good friend, uh, Tim who's from New Zealand and pronounces his name team uh, he comes over to my house uh, He looks at my house and he said, "You know this house uh, you 're not going to be able to rebuild it. this is you know totally you 're going to have to tear it down uh, you know rebuild it from the ground up uh, and and he says i 'll go back i 'll you know give uh, an assessment of what the value is goes back two weeks later uh, my entire premium is is sent to me." in the mail, and a check. Big amount of money, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it was a large check, largest check I've ever seen in my life, sitting there in my bank account. Now, if you go down today to 2628 North Laning Road, you will see a pile of dirt on the ground. Lots of grass. If you went down a couple months ago, you would have seen a burned house that was not yet torn down. Until April, I tore it down now there's just a pile of dirt. Tomorrow, God willing, uh, they're going to they're gonna dig out that foundation. And they're going to lay a foundation. And we're hoping that at some point, who knows when, we'll be back home. But The reality is this. There was this deposit that was given, this payment that was paid, the premium that is there sitting in my bank account that ensures the future of what's going to happen there. Now when I look at my house right now, I see something that looks very hopeless. I see something that looks not like progress, but can fill me with, with disappointment, with hopelessness. But yet I know that that eternity, that, that I know that that reality is fixed in the future. And I know what's promised there. And that's exactly what Christ does for us through his Life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He promises us what the future hope is. And he says, this is where it's all heading. This is what it's all about. This is where your life is going. That eternity is fixed. That deposit has been paid. That reality is true. And now we can live and work before him. And now we can live our lives before him and in service to him. And now, although we live our lives maybe by issuing one permit at a time, as people who work at my company do one project at a time, you know, as some of you are dealing with one client at a time, you're you know, teaching or raising one class, one set of children at a time, as we live our lives, although we live it in pieces, what Christ is promising to us, what Christ is saying to us, is that all of those pieces are taken up. That all of those things are gathered in to his kingdom, to Christ and his promise, to Christ and his glory, and we are headed towards this eternal hope that we have been given in Christ Jesus. That we are headed towards this eternity, towards this promise, and that's why he says, when he says in verse 13, no one can serve two masters, either he'll love the one, hate the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God in money. Jesus says, well, that reality has already been paid for in the cross. Now, we might struggle with that, as you and I know. But he says, look, that reality has been paid for in the cross. Who is your master? Who is your God? Where is your eternity? What is your final hope? It's with God in heaven. If you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, your hope is there. Your eternity is fixed before him. And now God takes all that we do... All that, we, all, all that happens as we live, all that we serve in our vocations. And he says, all these things come together. And he brings those pieces together in service to this king, in service to his glory, in service to that end and to that eternity. And Jesus says, I've fixed that final hope, that now as we live and we work before God, that we may do so out of the joy that we have because of Christ because of his eternal hope, because of his death, his burial, and resurrection. And Jesus says, we get that promise now, and we get that promise forever. Let's close in prayer. God, we do ask that as we live and as we work before you this day and every day, God, that you, by your kingdom, by your power, by your grace, that you may transform our work in service to you, that you may transform our lives, that we might live them as a pleasing sacrifice to you, God, that you may use us in the places that you have called us to, to be ambassadors for your kingdom, to show forth your grace, God, to be faithful in what you have called us to do, knowing that we are doing it in service to King Jesus. We lift these things up to you. We ask that you might bless us, that you might fill us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.